This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. your host for Fail Better. Today I welcome Jill Lawson. Jill is an Associate Professor in Landscape Architecture and Head of School at the School of Landscape Architecture at Lincoln University. Jill also served in the Army and worked several years in China and Australia, is that correct? correct. Welcome Jill. Thanks Tanya. Um, so far, Fail Better has been focusing a lot on failure and success, but from an individual perspective. Um, you've been in the military for several years, and I just wondered how success and failure are considered, as you don't succeed in a mission as a soldier or as an individual, but actually as an army or as a team. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us something more about this? Well, I don't think you can really understand success and failure without understanding the individual perspective, um, because that then builds into the collective Okay. So I would say that what's interesting about success, I was thinking about this coming up to your show, is that success is really one of those things that is often reflected back to you. Mm -hmm. And that's what builds up your confidence over a period of time. I mean, of course, there are things that you can say that, yes, I've been able to buy a house or, or whatever. But often the most impactful successes are the ones that other people recognize you for. Whereas failure is a very different thing from my point of view. Failure can be an emotional shock that often then um, can affect you for your whole life. So when it comes to building the confidence of or leading an army or a team of people, mm -hmm. I think you've got to take into consideration the individual um, perspective on success and failure. And I think if you understand that you want to build the confidence of people who have to face something quite stressful and unusual, like you do in the army, in the military, then that's um, a question of trying to build the confidence of each individual. And that's what I think you get when you do a lot of military training. So what you don't want, well, what you want is that no one feels like a failure, if you know okay. what I mean. And how would that look like then? How would you work on each individual to build up that confidence as you're talking about? Well, you have to assume then that there are people, everybody has a niche, mm -hmm. that they may not fit in one particular job. They might not be suited for that, but the structure of the military allows um, allows you to find a different niche for that person where they can succeed. So basically it's about identifying the strength of mm -hmm. every each individual? Yeah. And that's how you will make the collective, the team stronger? Yeah, and supporting each individual, I think, to actually succeed. Okay. That's how I look at it. And that's what I learned from the 15 years in the army. Um, I was also wondering how does uh, thinking of some reading I did about sport coaches, does that element of, I would say, the unexpected also play a role when you're in the army and thinking of a team? And I'm thinking more specifically, you could be extremely well prepared, let's say, for a certain mission, but then there's this element of, let's say, bad luck. 
and everybody is trained to the top and yet you still fail. How is that being dealt with? Or you could have just the opposite. You're feeling that it's not such a great day, but then for some reason, it's just going very smoothly. Um, is it also something happening? Thinking of, for example, a sports game. Um, it was, I thought, a very interesting example that this coach gave. Um, a team very well prepared, but then just bad luck and it lost. And then sometimes the team not doing so well, not doing so fine, but just of a matter of luck, did win, did score. And then... Well, I think that's probably outside of your control. Mm -hmm. If it was a question of something that's come in that you couldn't be prepared for, then there's not much that you can really do about that. So it comes back to that notion of failure as an emotional shock because that's something that I think you can rationalise and explain to the individuals involved and say, mm -hmm. well, you know, we did the best that we could and yet we still didn't manage to succeed because of external influences. I mean, you could see the same thing with COVID-19 all of the time. Every, nobody really expected that to um, hit. But, you know, if you have a strong team and you're as prepared as you can be for anything, and, and I think good managers or good coaches always have a plan B or a plan C in their back pocket. Yeah. even if they're not necessarily aware of it. So you can, I don't know, maybe it's an intuitive thing. You can actually, with experience, probably prepare a little bit better than perhaps other teams or other groups of people if you're thinking ahead. Um, Being proactive? Yeah. Of, envisaging yeah. several scenarios? I'm trying to think of an example a sporting example, and I'm not really a sports person. <laughs> um, if you've got people that are used to working together cohesively and each person can cover each other's position or um, each other's job role, then if something happens to part of that team or one or two people, then you've got the collective that can actually can... fall into place and overcome that. And basically situation. they've got your back. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was also wondering, when I think of the army, we think very much in terms of war and violence and very strict rules. Sometimes even I would say purely hostile against women. Uh, does this correspond to your experience as a woman in the army? Did you feel it was very strongly misogynistic? Do we say that? Well, it's male, definitely male-dominated. But I grew up outdoors with my father. You know, yeah. I enjoyed spending time. So for me, I quite like that structure. Yeah. Um, so I guess um, I think women in the military can succeed and they do succeed. Even LGBTQI yeah. um, uh, members of the military do succeed because there's a code, there's a, a set of unwritten rules around doing well and succeeding in the army. Okay. And those three things I would say would be um, teamwork, don't yeah. let your mates down. Yes. Um, leadership, which is take com to command or take a supervisory role whenever it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, and the last one is probably physical fitness or um, being competent at the skills that are required in that context um, because you want to lead by example and demonstrate as a leader that you 
you can succeed so other people can too. Okay, thank you very much. We'll have a very short break now and you chose The Dance of the Hours by Ponchielli. back for more short break and I was wondering as an academic now in a leadership position you're the head of school at the School of Landscape Architecture what makes a successful team and how do you accommodate those different and sometimes clashing personalities and agendas of your colleagues and your co-workers I guess unlike a sports team in most work environments there's a, also an individual competitiveness uh, um, in the specific university context and so I was wondering how do you thrive as a school and as a business How do you take on that role? Yeah, that I remember the adjustment to go from military context into an academic context because in civilian roles, the, the rules are less clear. So it's a much more nuanced kind of way of managing people. And I'm still, I have to say, I'm still learning all, you know, by various misdeeds and misinterpretations of things. I have a feeling you're being very hard on yourself and critical. <laughs> like we always are, we're always our worst critic. <laughs> But I do think education is becoming more and more female dominated as opposed to male dominated in the military. Um, that's not to say that all situations in academia are, are female dominated, but there tends to be, I feel, a 
more of that direction coming from schools and universities and so on as women are encouraged to take on more and more of those positions. And it's... I think it's slightly easier for women in academia than in perhaps in the commercial sector um, because there is a structure to how you move up the ladder. So it's a more kind of equal playing field. That's yes. how I feel anyway. Okay. Um, in terms of um, addressing the clashes of personalities and different um, agendas, I think when you're in an academic environment, there's probably three things that you constant, you know, success in three different levels that you're trying to manage. That is the institutional level, yes, and that tends to be measured outcomes. Mm-hmm. So how many outputs you you manage to produce in research, um, how many students complete their degrees, and so on. Yeah, how much research funding you bring in. So they're so all, very, very measurable in the yeah, end. Yeah. Very much like numbers. That's right. And ticking off a box in the end. Correct. But then you've got to also then um, bring in success at the team level, which I think is really about demonstrating your team identified positive changes that everybody's been able to contribute to. And yeah. I think that's super important and I think it's often forgotten that people like to see when they do a collective thing together that they're that the whole team is actually benefiting and contributing to the greater good for that group. Yeah. Um, and so part of that is knowing that people have shared responsibilities and teamwork. So that comes from my military background again yeah. um, because then everybody feels that they're contributing to, to a, a much larger greater good rather than just being selfish and individual um an individual focus so it's about basically defining a common purpose yeah and that common purpose everybody's finding its own individual purpose correct would it be yeah okay but i think the individual um success that feeling of individual success can't be underestimated either And that's usually the indication. Remember I said to you that success was often reflected from other people? Yes. So I think in the academic world, people then see themselves as valued by being promoted. Mm -hmm. So promotion is a very important part of individual success. And I think that's important as well. So as a manager, you're trying to manage all of those things Kind it's quite a lot for together. what you're telling me. It's quite a lot. I wouldn't <laughs> want to exchange with you. <laughs> uh, so basically, when we're talking about this kind of promotion, it's kind of the rewards. It's a bit like with, well, I don't want to sound as if I'm being too mom here, but like with children, they did a good job. So you give them the lolly or yep. you give them this kind of reward or this kind of recognition Absolutely. in whatever shape, form or color it comes. Oh, yeah. I think rewards for all of us, no matter what age we are, are really important. I mean, that's how we feel valued. Yes. You know, some people, they see the amount of money that they earn is something that they see as how they're valued. Um, other people like me, like to see the success of others and see them progressing. Um, You don't often get thanked for it, but you know that you've done a good job, if that makes sense. Yes. Okay. I was going to say now that you're you're talking about that, you being the head of school, 
how are you being rewarded? Do you get that feedback as well then from your team? Let's say like, oh, Jill, we really appreciate what you did because in the end, you as well need that. Uh, absolutely. Being in a leader position doesn't mean that you're the one saying, oh, you did great or this could be improved. I could imagine that it's it's working in two directions, isn't it? I absolutely agree with you. Um, for me, I've worked in two academic institutions for a long period of time. And I have to say the current team that I have are absolutely fabulous in terms of creating appreciation for what I do, but also for what each other does. And I have a, a great line manager above me, the dean, who also does a lot of um, appreciation and thanks to people for all the things. And I've learned a lot from her because in the military, that's not what you do. <laughs> you don't get a lot of that. Thank you so much. No, it's no, not. no. Oh, that's interesting then, because at the same time, I would have fought for that exactly what you were mentioning, that kind of team building, that kind of recognition, identifying the skills and the talents. It's strange in that you're not getting that kind of, I would say, encouragement or that kind of reward or that kind of feeling of, or is it working differently? Would it then be working with medals? I don't know. I'm being maybe stereotypical. No, 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 I think you're probably right. I just thinking back over my military service period, I don't remember anybody quite as generous as the people that I work with now ever coming to, um, how do you say, congratulate you and so on. I mean, it's not that there isn't rewards, but it tends to be more like a sports um, team. You know, yes. you got the trophy or yeah. you, that's the kind of feedback. So it's a much more measured yes. set of um, recognition factors, whereas I think the softer um, just acknowledgement of people that have done really well, for example, in staff meetings where I work, we mm -hmm. often say to somebody, you know, great job to you for getting this done. Mm -hmm. And everybody does a little clap. It's a little bit of a, a joke, but it's there is a sincerity in terms of recognising everybody's contribution. So I've never really struck that quite as much as I've, I've as I have here in New Zealand. It's okay. a really nice part of the culture. I was wondering as well now that you mentioned as well male dominant environment of the army, more female dominant in the academia. I was wondering, do you think it could have to do with gender as well, that maybe the soft skills are being more prevalent in an academic context because there's more women, maybe, and that men somehow, like what we hear, and I don't know to what extent not being a man, I don't know, so sorry to my male audience if I sound like I'm saying, telling cliches, that maybe you're, that a male environment is not so good at exactly showing those kind of emotions, or that the appreciation yeah, would be more in a silent way, it's there, but not as vocal, not as expressive, whereas maybe on a female side, there's much more that need of sharing, expressing it. Could that be a yeah? An element, it is. Maybe? It is dangerous, I suppose, to get into it's the terrible, stereotyping. Yes. But in my experience, um, the environments that I've been in where it's been male dominated, it's much more black and white. Okay. Whereas in environments, and it's been in academia where I've had more 50-50 men and women to work with rather mm. than, you know, 90 to 100% men mm. to work with, that it does tend to be um, there's an expectation um, that you will acknowledge the emotional side of the work that is done. Yeah. 
and especially in education because you're dealing with emotions all the time whenever you have to fail students. Yes. That's probably the most obvious aspect of success and failure is having to deal with students facing failure. Uh, now that you're mentioning the students, because we've been talking a lot about your position, I would say, in, in leading and in teaching, but mentioning students, my, my previous guest, Richard, who's a high school teacher, he was talking about the fact that, and we were discussing the fact that at high school, there seems to be such an enormous amount of pressure on teenagers to perform with all the testing and so on. Whereas uh, my previous guest, um, Christian, was talking about the School of Business, how he's really having a course about failing intelligently. And Richard was talking about how toddlers, for example, as well, he was taking the example of Margaret Mahim Playground, how they're creating this kind of illusion of risk, but basically stretching and stimulating smaller children to take a risk, a calculated risk. Whereas with teenagers and high school kids, there is just that exam and there is not, there doesn't seem to be really that kind of margin to experiment or to get to know yourself. It was something he was mentioning. He's also very much into board games and thinking about games as well. He was mentioning how um, in games you get to discuss, you get to negotiate, but you also, that's something I thought of later, you get to learn to lose and to win. And sometimes... Mm. In games, you, you learn to, to lose with sometimes the best strategy, depending on what kind of game, but you also learn to win on luck sometimes, if it's depending on dice or on just on luck and fortune. Anyway, just coming back to students, how do you feel then this time as a lecturer, associate professor, how do you feel you can help your students with that feeling of failure or sometimes... And they get, especially when they have the feeling or they really gave their utmost best and somehow it's just not there. Yeah. How do you... I think it worries me a lot, actually, that especially in design, which yeah. should be a joy. In fact, all education should be a joy, but we've turned it into a competition. Mm. And I think that's really, really sad. I think, you know, having to be examined down to the nth degree on everything that they do is... It's not helpful and it does, it can be soul destroying for some students. Um, the way I personally deal with it is that if I've got students who have to face failure, and look, we can all draw from our own mm -hmm. personal experience, I say to them, This isn't an indictment on you personally. Remember, yes. I said to you, failure is an emotional shock. Yes. I tried to try and, I try hard very hard to actually depersonalize it and say, this is not an indictment on you. You are not a failure. The fact is you're just not ready to get through this very complex um, design project that we've yeah. asked you to actually tackle. Um, I think some people are just, especially in my field, which is landscape architecture, yes. I think people do better if they have a quite a degree of life experience. Yeah. And so if you're a young person and also an international student from a different culture mm -hmm. where you don't have the background and the understanding of the culture in which we're, we're engaging in landscape design, then you've got a very difficult job to do is to bring together a whole bunch of elements carefully that can convince or, or um, show 
uh, teaching staff in our area that you can succeed in the workplace. And unfortunately, if they haven't been able to get through all of the things that we're expecting them to do, and some of them are very difficult to demonstrate to them. It's not like science, which is very clear cut. You're either right or wrong, usually. Ours is very, very subjective, and so it's hard for them to understand what they did wrong. But you've got to be able to show them a logic. There is a logic to everything and a reasoned way of looking at how things are organised spatially. And if they haven't been able to succeed at that, it's a question of saying to them either, this isn't something that is for you, again, yes. try and find them a niche that they're better suited to, yeah. or ask them then to come back and try again and see if they've got the um, ability to develop them their understanding and their thinking a little bit further so that they are ready to graduate. I wanted to thank you, Jill, for the contributions you made, especially, I think, now on working on as a team, as a, as a team leader as well, how you, I would say, acknowledge the successes individually of your team and how you're happy now to be at university and that you, you think you're having a very amazing, strong team working behind you, with you and for you. Also, I would like to um, just quickly come back to this idea with the students, where I'm also hearing that sometimes, well, it's not only about not taking it personally, but it's also about sometimes, yes, you have to give the time. That's what I'm hearing as well from mm. your comments, that it's not about succeeding at once, but it's sometimes it's about taking your time and learning from failing that first time, not giving up, but going on. Definitely. Thank you very much for your contributions. Have a great week, all of you. Next time, we'll welcome Professor Annick Maslow from University of Canterbury, and we'll discuss how the current pandemic seems to mostly impact women in the workplace. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. <laughs> All the counselors hate the waiters. And the lake has alligators. <laughs> and the head coach wants no sissies. So he reads to us from something called Ulysses. Now I don't want this should scare you. But my bunkmate has malaria. <laughs> you remember? Jeffrey Hardy, they're about to organize a searching party. <laughs> take me home, oh mother, father, take me home. I hate Granada, don't leave me out in the forest where I might get eaten by a bear. Take me home, I promise I will not make noise or mess the house with other boys oh please don't make me stay i've been here one whole day <laughs> dearest father darling mother how's my precious 
Little brother, let me come home. If you miss me, I would even let Aunt Bertha hug and kiss me. <laughs> Just a minute. It stopped hailing. Guys are swimming. Guys are sailing. Playing baseball. Gee, that's better. Modifada, kindly disregard this ladder.